Hello listeners, this is Vikas again with another episode on Run With Page. Hopefully, you've been enjoying my conversation with various researchers, athletes, coaches, and sports scientists across the globe. In today's conversation, we are covering a very important topic that not only impacts the running fraternity, but life in general. That is mental fitness. We are talking about how mental training can be used to your competitive advantage while performing, whether at recreational or at the very top level. In the conversation today, I have with me A.D. Bracey. A.D. is three times Mountain Runner of the Year, three times Olympic qualifier for the United States, and she's a certified sports psychologist. She talks all about tips and tricks to become a fitter runner mentally and strategies to adapt, to overcome setbacks, how to set right goals, and how to not give up when performing at any level at all. I found this extremely interesting, and I'm sure, like me, you would find it extremely enriching as well. Please join me in welcoming Addy Bracey to the show. Addy, welcome to the show. It's a great pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Mental performance is something that has been considered one of the the pillars for being successful almost everywhere, Addy. And uh, endurance sport is not different. It becomes rather a lot more important when we get to endurance sport, primarily because after a point, body can give in so much. And and beyond that, it's a lot about different tips and tricks. It's a lot about um, different strategies that need to be implemented that we have thought through in the past, etc., and I thought, who better than you to speak all about it today? But before we get to that, how about we get started with a small introduction of yours, um, where you started from, uh, what had been your athletic journey at collegiate level, pre-collegiate, etc., and then we'll dive into mental performance. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a lifelong runner. I uh, was fortunate that I was introduced to the sport at a pretty young age. Um, my my dad's a um, not so much anymore. He's a little bit older, but I uh, was a big fan of running and, and a big runner himself. So I kind of just grew up honestly watching him uh, race and train and go for runs every day. And when I was old enough uh, to join, you know, he let me join and it kind of just went from there. I think I ran my first race when I was like six or seven, um, was just like a one mile run. Um, and from there just fell in love with it. Uh, and still doing it, gosh, over 20 something years later, um, so yeah, I, I had a pretty decent high school career. Uh, grew up in North Carolina on the East coast of the U S and, um, and ended up going to the university of North Carolina, where I was a collegiate athlete, um, and ran cross country track and field, uh, that kind of thing while I was in university. And then, um, when I graduated, uh, just had always felt like I wasn't ready to stop running until I stopped improving. And I had continued to improve every year. So, um, kind of just kept doing it on my own, um, and had some success. I made a few, a few, uh, us Olympic trials, um, in the marathon and in the 10 K, uh, and I kind of stayed more on the roads, um, and more traditional distances for about 10 years after college, but around five or six years ago, kind of somehow, I, I guess maybe where I live here in, in Boulder, Colorado, in the Rocky mountains, um, found trail running. So most recently I compete primarily on the trails and primarily in the longer, longer ultra distances. Um, so hundred mile races, 50 mile races and that kind of thing just have been, as I've gotten to the point where I wasn't getting faster, I've been maybe curious about going farther. Uh, and that's kind of my athletic side, but then on my professional side, um, 
I'm a coach, but I also uh, went back to school a number of years ago and, and got a master's degree in sports psychology. And I work uh, with athletes in every sport, but have kind of tended to specialize in runners uh, and kind of working on and preparing for the, the mental and psychological side of performance and competing. Oh, beautiful. So about 2012, I guess you were competing in the Olympic trials. Before that, um, you were you were on the tracks, you did cross country and you were fairly, fairly successful. We followed you closely. And uh, I think around 2016, I guess back then also you had qualified for the Olympic trials and uh, and then you quickly made a move to trails. So I know you gave a glimpse of it just now that when you could not get faster, you decided to go further. But what was happening back then? Um, was this move gradual? Was it planned? Or how did that come about? Um, yeah, it was kind of happenstance. Um, just the way the universe worked out, I guess. Yeah, I, in 2012, I qualified for the Olympic trials in the marathon in the, in the 10K on the track. In 2016, I qualified again in the marathon. Um, but I was having a tough time making it on the track. I ended up missing it by a few seconds uh, in a steeplechase. Um, and I kind of recognized that I just wasn't that motivated anymore by those like external results. Uh, and I still love to run and I still love to get out every day, but I, I had gotten to the point where maybe competing at the level that I was on the track just wasn't really fulfilling anymore. And I wasn't getting faster and emotionally that was hard. And I got to the point where I didn't enjoy racing. It felt, um, it didn't feel fun. It felt, I mean, talk about my own psychological and emotional struggles with, you know, I was 30. So I was also, you know, I've been doing it for a long time and I really struggled with that, but I didn't want to let it drag on long enough to where I maybe resented the sport or didn't like running anymore. So I, like I had said earlier, I'd always said, once I stopped improving, I would step away. And, um, so I was ready to do that. I was ready to retire and kind of be done. I didn't know anything about the trails. Um, but a friend of mine, uh, kind of convinced me to sign up for this trail race, which was the U S championship, uh, mountain race. Um, I signed up, I think three weeks before, um, didn't know what it was, uh, and went out and I won the race, which was amazing, but more than anything, I just had fun and kind of like found this new sport. So it, it wasn't really gradual. It was, you know, I ran a track 10 K and then my next race was my first ever trail race. Um, and then from there, I, I did stay on the shorter distances for a while, but I moved to ultras pretty quickly. I think maybe within a year and a half or so, and then pretty quickly to hundreds uh, to maybe quicker than most people. So I, I just, I think it is a little bit my, my curiosity and the psychological side. I think that the longer you go, the more that's a piece of the pie. And so I think there is a mixture of also just my work in, in psychology and sports psychology that has led me to kind of seek those really long efforts. Um, so not planned and uh, definitely not gradual either. Got it. And and I think this is uh, this fairly, fairly important to discuss this one here. When you perform at the elite level, at that time, uh, we are we are looking at competing and competing uh, really, really well. We want to be performing, be right at the podium. And when we don't see that coming, we start to not make sense of most of it because we we don't want to give up because the way the athletes are. And, and here in your case, when I look at in the hindsight, you found a parallel where you could um, get interested and then do really well. I wanted to understand when you think of it from a psychology point of view, what was going on and how should other athletes uh, look at this as an approach that while having deep and narrow focus on one objective is important, but at the same time, 
if uh, at a certain point you start to think that's not appropriate anymore for number of external variables or or possibly physiologically the body is giving up, then how you should look to find alternative avenues that are equally exciting? How do, what do you think about those? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's, it can be challenging in our sport because our sport is, uh, it is pretty objective in a lot of senses and it can be kind of easy to fall into maybe what most people's goals would be, whether that's a certain time for the marathon or running like a Boston qualifier, or in my case, a, a, an Olympic trials qualifier, you know, it, it is very objective and specific. And sometimes you can kind of get in this routine of chasing this goal without stopping to, to recognize if you're really that connected to it, or if it's really that meaningful in, in a bigger sense. And so um, I, I'm really big on understanding why and connecting, you know, what you're doing with running into um, just your general values as a person and how those things kind of interact and connect. And when there's a disconnect there, it, it can be difficult to, I think, find like the fuel or the reserves to, to do what's necessary to achieve the goal, which is the case that I found myself in, um, or vice versa. You know, if you're not reaching the goal anymore, um, you know, I think that that's running can shift in terms of like what role it's playing, um, and that's what I was prepared to do. My, my top priority was to be a lifelong runner. And so if I needed to shift how I was running, that I was willing to do that. And so maybe sometimes taking a step back and zooming out and kind of recognizing what role you want running to play in your life. And then maybe what's important to you as a person and how you want to exist in the world and how running plays into that. I think it's easier to be more intentional with, with what, with how you're choosing to engage in that and recognize that there's a lot of different ways to achieve that, not just by running a certain time or placing know a certain place in a race yeah yeah no makes sense in your case Addy um, also because uh, you had a professional background that allowed you to see through these uh, situations and uh, you were able to zoom out and uh, make a decision that was equally exciting though it happened incidentally do you think as athletes start to train whether at a recreational level or at more competitive level even though we are recreational runners like you said uh, going after a BQ, um, aiming for a sub three and various other goals, it gets really, really competitive uh, in relative terms. Uh, do you think as we start training, people should look to uh, look at mental fitness and mental training in addition to physical training and nutrition that people are going with? And if that is the case, how should people actually approach from right from the start? Because um, once you hit the rock bottom, once you reach the stage where you're falling short of your own expectations, then a lot of these discussions and a and lot of these uh, strategies do not come around. They do not work because it's just already too late, possibly. Sure. Yeah. And that is a common thing is a, a lot of, and I used to have this mindset, a lot of people maybe think things have to be at rock bottom or be really bad to, to seek you know, help in the mental side or um, sports psychology side. Um, and it's interesting because I think if most people were to step back and maybe look at most of their disappointing races, at least when I had this confrontation with myself, I, I didn't always know sports psychology was important. It took me kind of being at rock bottom to recognize that. Um, but if you take a, you know, take a step back and look at some of the disappointing races, sometimes maybe you can highlight like a gap in your training or you didn't prepare the way you should have, or something unfortunate happened in the race. But for me and most of the people I was coaching for years before I, I went into sports psychology, that usually wasn't the case. There was usually something mental that was kind of the hiccup, whether it was um, 
you know, not being able to commit to that next step, you know, when you're at that decision point in a race or not being able to tolerate the discomfort or, you know, not having confidence to, to set a higher goal or whatever it is. And I, so I think most people, if they were to do that, would recognize that it probably is the mental piece sometimes holding them back. So when it's easy to admit that, uh, it seems like it would be easier to convince people to add that to, to their program or add that to their preparation and training. Um, and, and that's what it is. It's training. I, I call it mental training. You know, it's something that takes time and effort. Um, but in my opinion, you know, if, if someone's out there putting the time and the miles in and, you know, seeking the nutrition help and the strength training, and all these other things, I think of the sports psychology piece is kind of gluing them all together and allowing you to like put them out there on race day. And so in some ways, um, not in some ways, I think it's like the most crucial element. And I'm, I'm glad that it's a topic that's starting to gain more traction. Yeah, yeah, and and you outline a number of these as strategies um, and as tips in your book. As we start to think of training, and like you said, mental training is something. It's like an integrated umbrella that glues everything together. Now, when when people are looking at mental training, how should they even start to implement this right right from the start? Do you think uh, it starts from the goal setting itself? I have seen from my experience of speaking with people. At times, they're falling short of expectations, primarily because they have just set unrealistic goal, right? So maybe it starts from there itself. So how should people go about even setting the right goals that they are not setting themselves for failure? Yeah, I mean, before you gave that example, I was going to say, I think the place to start is self-awareness. And so, um, yeah, it, at first, it's, it, it, it requires being honest with yourself, right? And um you know, if, if there is a, is this a realistic goal and where is this goal coming from? I ask people that a lot of times, you know, they might feel like pressure or expectation to achieve something. And I, and I want to know where that's coming from. Um, so I think one of the biggest, like most important places to start it is just self-awareness, just to start to learn more about yourself in that sense, you know? So yeah, the goal setting process is, is a great place to start. Also just thinking about, workouts and races and days when you're performing the, like you're, you're on and you're performing the way that you want to like kind of taking a step back and thinking like okay well what was my environment who was I around what was I thinking about and focusing on when those things went really well and then on the flip side you know days when it didn't go so well you know what was I thinking about what was I focusing on what was my environment who was I around what was I around so just kind of building some awareness and, and noticing the trends um, can be really enlightening, you know, just in and of itself, because once you can kind of see those trends, you can see that it's not just up to chance, you know, when we have a day where we feel really on or a race, we, we feel really like dialed in mentally and psychologically, um, there was components in place and maybe it wasn't intentional and it was, if, if there's no intention behind it, but if you can kind of take a look at that, that's a great place to start to at least kind of understand yourself more in that sense. Right. So, so do you think like people should, sorry, I'm just, I'm just trying to piece all of these together because a lot of information and people would love it. Do you think uh, uh, people should make note of in journals or things like those? And over a period of time, they should see what was happening for them mentally or what were they feeling? Uh, what were some of the indicators that were allowing them to perform better or not? Do you think these are some of the ways to even identify those variables? Right. Yeah. I think yeah, journaling and, and thinking about it can definitely be helpful. Another way that I kind of think of why I think that process is important is sometimes I describe sports psychology as like PT or physical therapy for the brain. You know, when you go to a physical therapist like with a running injury and say like my knee's been hurting, it's it's usually not the knee that's the problem, right? Like the knee's maybe where you're feeling the pain, but it's like your, your glutes are weak or your core is weak or something like that. 
And so sometimes um, thinking back and kind of highlighting, like I said, the things didn't go well, you might be able to notice like for one person, um, maybe confidence is an issue for another person, maybe confidence isn't an issue, but they have a hard time tolerating discomfort or dealing with setbacks or injuries or that kind of thing. So as you look back and kind of think about these things and journal about them and track them, you can also kind of highlight the symptoms or what issues are showing up for you. And then as you recognize those and identify those, of course, it helps to have some kind of resource or mental performance professional, but we can kind of zoom out and say, okay, if confidence is the issue or the symptom or how this is showing up in my racing in a tangible way, what's actually the problem? You know, maybe it's athletic identity or maybe it's, um, yeah, me putting too much uh, stock or emphasis on what an outcome or result means to the point where like, I feel scared of the race because I put, I've made it mean too much of that kind of thing. So um, yeah, it's just, it's literally just kind of figuring out more about yourself, just the same way as you would, you know, a lot of runners are, are very knowledgeable about what they're good at and not good at physically, you know, like some runners hate hills, some runners love hills, some runners hate long runs, some love long runs. Um, so it's, it's just more information about yourself and kind of understanding what your strengths are and then maybe what your growth areas are. Yeah. i see, uh, the most important theme that's coming out from this conversation, Addy, is being self-aware and uh, and that's why being being realistic to yourself and being aware of who you are and uh, what you can commit to what you're capable of all of these things uh, they they play a great role in being a successful athlete as well as being successful in life in general right even in corporate world uh, from where i come from we have seen some of the top performers are the ones who are able to not only set realistic goals, but break it down to align to their skills. And then they go after those and they, they're a lot better team players, they're a lot better leaders, etc. as against the ones who are making ad hoc decisions because that's that's not uh, sustainable at all. So, so what you said makes absolute, absolute sense. Okay, uh, moving ahead, lifestyle. And this is one question that was asked by a number of uh, listeners when we asked for a small survey before this conversation. And that was about stress and anxiety in general that is not induced from running or sports plays a huge role some people have these as a there could be a financial reason there could be a work-related stress or things like those what do you think is the is the impact of these daily life stressors in sports performances and uh, how does one go about managing these yeah i mean that's exactly right. Even from a coaching standpoint, not even from a sports psychology standpoint, I always want to know holistically, like what's going on in someone's life. We're not like, like runners in a, in a vacuum, like you're a whole person and stress in one area of your life is going to impact the other area. So um, for one, just from a tangible standpoint, it's taking that into consideration and recognizing that it's all kind of pulling from the same resources. So factoring that in, you know, there's, um, if you had a really long, stressful day at work and were on your feet for a long time or worked longer hours or whatever it is, you know, a seven or eight mile run that day might feel like a 12 mile run on a day that you were fresh. So it's maybe like accounting for that and recognizing that stress is stress and that needs to be accounted for. Another thing I'd like to add to that is that not all stress is bad stress. So a lot of times some people might you know, recognize when work was really stressful in a negative way, or they weren't sleeping as much, but, you know, there's also stress that's good, but still impacts, you know, your reserves, whether it's, you know, you just had a baby and you're, 
you know, you're up at all hours of the night or, um, you know, sometimes work being really busy is a, a great thing and it's not a bad thing, but you know, that's still stress on your body. So it's, it's recognizing that not all stress is like negative and bad. And then also that stress is stress and that it should be accounted for. Sure. And, and how about the long-term stresses? Um, from my experience, I've seen in meeting with number of, uh, athletes that they, they struggle with chronic anxiety at times, not even knowing, and uh, the the anxiety of not being able to perform or uh, considering each of their runs, even easy runs as more like competition runs, etc. And they build a chronic anxiety over a period of time. Uh, from your uh, experience, have you come across similar instances? And if yes, what do you think? How uh, how people like these, how personas like these should look at managing their anxiety? Because that's a lot more counterproductive, I would, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's helpful in that sense to think about what kind of anxiety and stress is like our stress response is uh, it's, it's, it's not abstract, right? Like it's something actually happening in our bodies. It's our nervous system responding, you know, to like a perceived threat. And yeah, as, as our humanity and our species has progressed, our brains like almost haven't, haven't caught up with, with where we're at. And so our, uh, stress response, which we know is like fight, flight, or freeze, kind of our sympathetic nervous system was not designed to be charged up for long periods of time, right? Like it was designed to show up when there's a threat present so that we can protect ourselves and um, survive basically. And so when we think about chronic stress and anxiety, that's essentially what that is, is your stress response or your sympathetic nervous system is too engaged um, for, for too long, which is not designed to do. And there's a lot of, yeah, very uh, obviously like terrible health um, uh, issues that can come from that. One of the things that's been popular recently and that you might have heard of is, is HRV or like heart rate variability, which is an indicator of that. And like, you know, when we think about heart rate variability, for those that don't know what it is, to simplify it, it's essentially the variability in your heart rate in a given day. So thinking about... Um, it's contrast to thinking about like a lower heart rate. You want a higher heart rate variability because you want to be a healthy individual who, you know, has like a decently low resting heart rate and maybe is active. So their heart rates also you know, going up, they're active throughout a day. So two of the instances we see that not being the case is maybe when someone's more sedentary and, and not exercising, or when someone's more on that high anxiety, anxious or high stress individual who, yeah, maybe when you're sleeping or at night, you, you know, your, your heart rate is low but throughout the day, you're so stressed and anxious the whole day that it's like higher than it should be. And so that's one um, kind of measurement or way to track um, stress and like how it's showing up and, and measure recovery and its impact, like on training and, and strain and training load. Uh, and a tangent off of that is there are, I won't go into too much detail because sometimes I can kind of go off on a tangent and rant, but there are breathing techniques uh, that I use because I'm, I'm a high anxiety individual that um, kind of help turn down the, the nervous system and kind of turn uh, the volume down a little bit when it is heightened like throughout a day or when if you're kind of an, a person that runs like more high anxiety um, that can kind of help literally um, target your nervous system in a, in a way to measure that is to kind of track your HRV um, and, and see if that's something that's helpful. Sure. And, and you, you're not at all um, digressing or ranting. I think, I think it's so, so relevant. Um, Specifically, the breathing technique, and this is something I've been asked many times uh, in a couple of episodes that we have covered earlier. Also, um, Dr. Amy Bender talked about the sleep breathing strategy, etc. Just here, if you don't mind, can you can you explain that a bit to people if they were to look at um, 
breathing strategy, how could they look at doing it to manage their anxiety? And when is it appropriate to do it? Yeah, of course. So uh, in terms of what I'm talking about with um, breathing in a way that targets the nervous system, um, and, and again, engages that like parasympathetic, which is kind of like rest and relax and disengages that stress response, uh, sympathetic nervous system. It's, it's not so much deep breathing as it's slow breathing. And most of the research kind of supports a 10 second breath cycle with a slightly longer exhale. And so for me, I, I find it comfortable to do like a four second inhale and a six second exhale. There's a ton of research and data that supports this breathing technique, you know, as being as uh, um, impactful as medication, other things for things like ADHD, like high stress, high anxiety, that kind of thing. Um, I Don't quote me on this, but I think the gold standard is to, to work up to like 15 to 20 minutes a day, but that can be broken up. So for me, you know, just to kind of generally, um, I guess, impact like my HRV and kind of initiate more of a relaxed state. I'll do some in the morning and some in the evening, but at the same time, it's, it's kind of a tool that you can pull on, pull out at any time. So if, you know, um, you find during a day that you just had a really stressful meeting, or for me, I get really anxious when I'm in traffic, you know? So that's a time when you can recognize that you're getting like anxious, which is your sympathetic nervous system. And you can just say, okay, I can just, I can do a couple minutes of slow breathing, um, counting my breaths, you know, doing this four second inhale, six second exhale. And it, it should, I mean, if you, I've seen it on graphs, you know, with people hooked up to machines that it does kind of level out, it synchronizes your respiration rate and your heart rate uh, in a way that literally does, like I said, kind of turn that volume down and, and relax you. So it's something that's um, useful and helpful to do as part of your day every day, but also can be pulled on like in a moment when you're feeling like very anxious before a race, that's a great time to do it too. Sure. Yeah, no, very helpful tool. Um, now, moving to your book, um, I know you have you have written some very, very specific um, tools and strategies for people to be able to uh, identify various aspects of mental training and then go on to implement. And, uh, and a lot of these become a lot more important in ultra distances. Uh, and that's the specific context that you've written your book about. We, we talked about a number of those in bits and pieces here. I wanted to see if I missed anything uh, in terms of key strategies. Of course, we would recommend people to be able to purchase the book. Uh, not very easily available in the country here. Um, but if they can find, um, find their hands on this will be fantastic. But the ones who cannot, what do you think are some of the things people should look at from mental training perspective if we have not covered already today? Oh gosh. Yeah. That's a big question. <laughs> um, well, I guess I think of, I think of it as mental skills, um, in terms of, um, the more mental skills you have built, the more like vast your toolbox is, you know, to, to respond, uh, to things in races. I, I mean, we've talked about kind of confidence and I think one of the biggest ones obviously is like your why and your values and kind of your identity around being an athlete and how that's oriented towards, um, towards your results. I would say most people come to me with things related to belief and in confidence, which we've kind of talked about, and then maybe also kind of addressing challenges, um, and discomfort in races. I think that's a big one that kind of took me a long time to kind of change my perspective on what those things mean. And so a, a lot of the book and a couple of the chapters kind of focus on that in terms of recognizing that 
challenges in a race, discomfort in a race, the things that pop up in a race that might feel like tough or annoying are are the race. Like that is the challenge. It's not something like necessarily going wrong. It's part of the process of, of running fast, whatever that means for a person. And so changing your relationship with that and recognizing that that's part of it and that that's something that you can prepare for and it's not a disaster. It's not something derailing the performance. It's part of the performance. And um, to me, that was really empowering to kind of recognize that, that like, oh, discomfort and this hurting isn't bad. That's like a means to an end. That's what it takes to run past it. And so as, as soon as I can learn to kind of accept that and coexist with that, that's a good thing. Uh, it's not something I have to fight. You know, the second that something, it's especially true in ultras, but something goes wrong or your plan, you know, feels like it flew out the window, that's going to happen. And it's not like necessarily bad luck. It's sometimes just part of performance. And so kind of orienting yourself towards that and preparing for those things ahead of time and thinking about them ahead of time um, takes a lot of the anxiety away. I think a lot of pre-performance anxiety and pre-race nerves comes from thinking about all the things that could go wrong and being stressed about them instead of thinking about the things that could happen, not go wrong, and then planning for how to deal with them and approach them. And a lot can be accomplished just by thinking about it like that ahead of time and writing out a plan ahead of time um, and knowing that you kind of have thought about it and have a plan and have the skills and tools to respond to like whatever happens. Yeah, yeah, no, true. There is one very basic question I ask most of the times before um, any of the bigger races or uh, or before a corporate presentation, investor presentations, honestly, uh, that is that, can I manage it if I'm stressing about it today? Can I manage it just now? Is it in my control? And if it is not in my control, I know it for sure that if I'm getting stressed, I'm not going to be able to manage it, even if I could do it earlier. So, so that's one thing I, I try to try to ask, and and it works really well. And I'm like, if I'm able to figure that out early on, then possibly I can put a plan to address that, isn't it? Right. Yes. Exactly. Uh, okay. So uh, moving from here, it looks like people need to do these smaller things regularly, put the pieces together, starting from setting the realistic goal and to go on achieving them as well as be okay with the results that they get even if it's not favorable and 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 now i wanted to move to the result itself it's very hard to be able to get over the setbacks of a result of a competition when you have trained so hard for possibly years and and you are going to go after something really really big and and when the result is not favorable it definitely is not the best thing to hear or see what in your experience has worked for people? What strategies should athletes, um, they should include to manage these setbacks if they, if they go through a result that's not favorable to them? Yeah, uh, it's, it's, I guess, kind of maybe the obvious or stereotypical answer to say that, um, you know, failure is feedback, you know, to give the quote, but it, but it truly is, you know, I've been in points in my career where races were going really well and, that that is like a limited or it's not sustainable and in some instances made me almost too arrogant about what I was doing in terms of like thinking I had it all figured out whereas we you know when you when you fall when you fail which I don't even necessarily love that word um when you have a setback or when something doesn't go the way that you wanted it to there's a lot of information there you know there's I would rather see that as like instead of seeing it as a reflection of me not performing well or not being fast enough or not being good enough, seeing it as like, okay, well, what did I miss? Like what went wrong there? And how can I kind of address that and put it in, um, 
put it into like practice for my next race so that it's not a problem again. And it's, I think a lot of it too, is just accepting that it's okay to be disappointed. You know, that's price, the price of entry for being a runner is it's a vulnerable sport, right? It's, it's an individual sport, it's results-based and you, there has to be some level of, I guess, courage and vulnerability to even be willing to race, which I already think is something that should be applauded. I think that runners are amazing just for that simple reason. And so you're kind of already accepting that when you line up, you're accepting that you might fall short and um, it's part of it. Everyone's going to, no one, uh, my dad used to tell me in high school, he said, if, if you run faster, every time you race, eventually you're going to have a world record, you know, basically telling me like, it's not realistic, like it's not going to happen. Uh, and so, yeah, accepting that as part of it and then recognizing that it's information and it's, that's so valuable. Like knowing how you can get better is so valuable. And so, you know, in my work with the athletes that I work with, runners or any other athlete, one of the biggest things I've seen in the high, high performers is they take setbacks very seriously in terms of like, how can I take this and get better? Like, how can I use this to improve instead of seeing it as um, like a reflection of how good you were or weren't and a reflection of um, what you're capable of when it's not, it's just information. Yeah. Yeah. No, very, very relevant. Addy, such a fantastic conversation. Uh, this has been I'd been waiting for this conversation to happen because we had covered a lot about training. We had covered a lot about uh, human physiology, trainings, etc. But mental training was something that was missing. And I'm sure there are several specific points here that people can can take away. Before we wrap up, I wanted to see if there is anything additional that you would like to mention to our, our listeners here in India as well as worldwide or if there is anything else that I missed. Um, I think the only thing I would say, like leave you with it, is what I kind of leave every podcast with is um, the way that I think about mental skills and like mental performance and mental strength, if you want to think of it that way is, you know, a lot of our physical and physiological capabilities like you just brought up are, are pretty genetic or are related to how young we were introduced to the sport or related to our resources. Um, but the psychological piece, like no one has an advantage over anyone else, you know, like everybody has access to the same very amazing tool and resource. And, um, you know, when you think about it that way, it seems kind of silly not to take advantage of that. It's like this very, uh, I don't know, life changing and definitely like performance changing tool that's accessible to everybody, like no matter what. And so I hope that that encourages people to think about incorporating like more intention behind uh, the sports psychology piece and their performance. And I guess to, to tangent off that. It's, it's, uh, I think you said something about this earlier, but it's not, it's a transferable skill. Anything you learn about how to perform better in the race setting is going to transfer to the work setting and, and any other setting of performance in your life. So, you know, it's something that's so, um, I guess, vast and, and impacts a lot of different things, which is also really cool. Yeah. No, awesome. Wow. The, the mental training being your competitive advantage is the best one. I think uh, this is this really a key takeaway for me. And, and people do look at uh, the physiology, they look at training, they look at nutrition, etc. But if they look at mental fitness and mental toughness or adaptability to be able to uh, handle the situation differently, I think they will definitely become a better athlete. But at the same time, they'll become a better individual in general life, right? To be able to manage the situation a lot better and eventually evolve as a uh, more holistic, more uh, groomed and better individual in overall Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Addy. This was such a fantastic conversation. I loved speaking with you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. 
that is all for today. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation as much I enjoyed speaking with Eric. If you have any feedback or any suggestions about improving the quality of running the fit page, please drop me an email at vikas, that is V-I-K-A-S, at the rate fitpage.in, F-I-T-P-A-G-E dot in. I look forward to speaking with you guys next week. Stay tuned, keep running, and keep staying healthy mentally. Good luck, guys. Thank you for listening. We have a lot more to offer on nutrition, training, and fitness. Check the FitPage app or visit our website, fitpage.in.